this is a question that you guys should all know the answer, but I'll just throw it out there. But how many of you guys know what tadpoles are? <laughs> you do, right? And then when they grow up, they become what? Frogs. It's amazing, right? How something like a tadpole grows up into a frog. Um, scientists have, you know, broken down the DNA of frogs and tadpoles, and essentially they have same DNA. Um, and so, because they have the same DNA, who they are in the embryonic level is what they become on the tadpole level is what they become what on the frog level in the same way as a church as we grow to love Jesus and the gospel becomes more and more central in our lives and in one sense also the gospel has given us life through the spirit um, who we are is what what we become more and more as followers of Christ and so we have if we have a DNA that that makes disciples guess what um, we have a culture that makes disciples um, the same is true for the preaching of god's word if we have a culture where we value and desire the preaching of god's word um, that's just, that's what we'll hunger for and that's what we'll long for and that's what we'll desire for others and ourselves or ourselves and others and so we see this um, in paul as dylan read <coughs> as he as paul was ministering to Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus, as we consider the book of Ephesians, as Paul is discipling Timothy, um, as Paul closes out the book of Timothy, as he explained how we are positioned in Christ and how we are to practice our position in Christ, Paul himself, as he, after he covered the armor of God, he said in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 19, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I want you, I underline this in my notes, but Paul literally is praying for himself to open his mouth to proclaim God's word. Is that important to him that he would pray for himself and pray for the preaching of the word to go forth? And he says, because of this preaching, he says in verse 20, for which I am an, an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So if you think of the context of what, where and when and the situation that Paul is writing this letter and praying this prayer, um, Ephesians is one of the four prison epistles next to Colossians, Philippians, and Galatians. So he is in prison um, when he wrote this letter because he's still thinking about God. He's not like bemoaning the fact that he's in jail. Um, he, he literally said he's in chains. And so we believe his ankles and his wrists were in chains. So I'm not exactly sure how this writing came about if his hands were in chains, especially if it's in chains in those wooden things. But it could be chains where his hands could have been moving around, but he has them on his wrists. Um, in these prisons, they didn't have, they weren't, they're, they're not like our one-star, two-star, three-star, five-star hotels. I only say that in that way because some of the prisons are like so nice around here. They're almost like 
at least two or three star hotels. I mean, they're clean, they have bathrooms and facilities, okay? There's no running water here. Um, there's no toilet bowl to flush your human waste in. So it stinks and smells um, in these prisons. And so this is the situation in which he is, he is praying this prayer to, to himself. And I want you to notice the contents of his prayer. I'm going to come back at it, and we'll see eight characteristics, actually nine, of his prayer. First thing you see is Paul prayed all prayers of supplication. He, he's praying a variety of prayers. And so this is a specific supplication for his own perseverance to keep alert and to preach. So that's a prayer of supplication. Not so much a prayer you know, pray or, or confession here. We see, too, that he prayed always. He was praying frequently. He was praying on a regular basis. Number three, Paul prayed in the Spirit. Paul sought to be in tune with the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, and submitted to the will of God. He wanted to be aligned by the Spirit. He was motivated uh, if I could say, driven by the Spirit. He wasn't driven by fear or people pleasing so much or his own personal comfort. He also prayed that he would keep alert. Um, he, was, he would have a manner of alertness of what's going on in the, in the world and spiritually <clears throat> as he prayed. And then we see five, he prayed for all perseverance, um, knowing that it is easy to, what, give up as children of God, as soldiers of God, um, to, to, to throw in the towel. Um, <laughs> I was looking at Facebook, and this comment I thought was one of the funniest things I said. He says, <laughs> the comment was essentially this. He says, at McDonald's, you, you often um, order stuff, and there's mistakes, and they get things wrong. But yet we keep going back to McDonald's. Not all of us, but some of us, right? And when we get ticked off in the church, it just takes one and we just leave the church because we lack that perseverance, all right? I think you get what I'm trying to say. I, I don't know. For some of you guys, you have this grace in many ways of perseverance and you keep persevering. You work through with God's grace step by step and you don't treat the church better than McDonald's, all right? Number six. Uh, Paul prayed for all saints, um, the saints, he prayed to God for the saints, for believers. And so um, that was his, the direction, the objects of his uh, objects toward or <clears throat> his prayer to pray for fellow believers in this in this situation with this church. Number seven, he also prayed for the opening of his mouth. I found that profound. I mean, you think, you know, here's Paul who writes and pastors and plants church. He thinks he's just a supernatural at opening his mouth and preaching. Well, he himself requires prayer to open his very mouth. He realizes the temptation for even himself and believers, what? Is to keep our mouth shut. And he says, hey, our mouth needs to open so the gospel would go forth. Number eight, Paul prayed that the proclamation of the gospel would go forth. Um, this idea of proclamation or to proclaim um, comes from the history at that time where heralds would herald the good news and preach the gospel, um, preach or announce messages in, in the streets, uh, in, in the city. And so he would, go, he would do that. And so he's saying, hey, for himself and the believers of Ephesus, that they would do the same, that they would preach the gospel boldly. 
And so again, number nine, the last way, the last thing I want you to see, he asked specifically for bold prayer. How many times? I just want to know if we look at our Bibles. Right there, it says two times, right next to each other, sentence apart. He prays twice that his preaching would be bold, um, not lacking, um, not in fear, that he would have a boldness in his preaching. And so this is all introduction, okay? <clears throat> so this morning, we're going to reinfuse or remind ourselves of a fusion of the the, the DNA uh, of uh, unapologetic preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and an unapologetic witness from 2 Timothy chapter, no, 2 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, for God's glory and for, good, for the good of our lives in the local church. And so, two areas of unapologetic preaching and unapologetic witness. And so, I realize for some of us, we are going back to school soon, whether it's middle school or high school or college or, or grad school in the next week or two. And so my hope is that you see your school as a mission field, an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to have an unapologetic witness. Um, next week, I do want to pray specifically for those going back to school, that you would see your, your, your campus, your school as a mission field to your teachers, to the staff, and to your fellow classmates. And so that's our direction. Um, today's message, we're basically looking at two points, unapologetic preaching and unapologetic witness within this. Excuse me. Um, so first, I want you to see the need. If you're in 2 Timothy, go to chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, or it may be on the screen. I'm not sure. But we see the need for preaching or the need to preach. And as we look at this passage, in one sense, we see the brokenness of Paul's world, of Timothy's world. And as you read this, in many ways, you see the brokenness of our world today, too. It pretty much looks like our newspaper, our internet news. Paul says this to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be, there will be times of difficulty. <laughs> I want you to know we are part of those last times today. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Yes, that says that there, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness. Maybe playing church. Looking godly on the outside. Denying its power. It says here to avoid such people. And I'm not 100% sure what avoid such people means. Even though I know it says avoid such people. But I look at this. And I'm wondering if it says, avoid verse 5, the people that appear godly but deny his power. The people that are causing a lot of muck um, <clears throat> because they're very confusing and difficult to minister to because they believe they're living it, but they're so de deceived. It's almost like wasting your time. But I know for the rest of these people in the previous verses, they are just simply manifesting their sin and their 
fact that they're a sinner. In other words, they're manifesting their brokenness. And so the need for the gospel hasn't changed. When you look at every one of these things, <clears throat> there's a strong sense for the need for the gospel, for the preaching of God's word to work in the lives of those who are proud or arrogant or unholy and so forth. And so what Paul does to Timothy, he charges them to preach the word, to preach the word. Specifically, he charges them to preach. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, um, Paul profoundly charges Timothy simply to preach the word. And so we see this charge here in verse 1. He literally says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. So there's a lot going on here. But the primary audience that Paul is telling him telling Timothy, he's reminding him that his primary audience is to preach for God and Jesus. Okay? Many times you think, oh, no, he didn't say to Timothy, hey, you need to preach in an entertaining, flamboyant manner to the Coloss- I mean, Ephesians in this, in this city. He says, make it your mindset to preach in such a way, understanding that you're in the presence of God and of Christ. And so that is the, your audience. That is your unique yet divine accountability. And he says that your preaching will also be under the scrutiny of the judgment of Jesus Christ himself. He says here, who is to judge the living and the dead. And so as <coughs> Timothy thinks about his life, as you think about your life, ultimately we'll have a test worse than the SAT or the PSAT or your GRE or whatever exam you may take one day. You'll have a test where you what? Face, one, the judgment seat of God, whether you are a believer or non-believer, so that you'll be judged upon that. Um, there's another judgment that we will face, and that will be a judgment, seat, a judgment known as the Bema Seat. This is a judgment for your faithfulness, um, for the, the sincerity and the motiva- motivation of your life and ministry. And so that's found in 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you want to look at that one later on. But to understand that God will judge you, um, me, um, <laughs> you and me, and he will do this at the appearing of his kingdom. For, for believers, according to what I see in Scripture, the believers, when Christ come, will be raptured out. So that means taken out of this world and left behind will be people who are not believers, the non-believers, right? So this is a pre-rapture belief of what will happen after the church age, and then we'll have um, seven years of tribulation that will follow. So um, <clears throat> most theologians believe that you'll have this initial judgment here, and at the final time, af- after the millennial kingdom, um, you'll have your final judgment there too. So 
that's probably more than what you need for the call to preach. The call to preach is before God and understanding that you'll be judged. Um, the next thing I want you to see is the object. What is the object here? Um, the objective here is to preach the Word of God. That's the primary directive here. The primary objective to do here is to preach the Word. And so we're going to ask, uh, what, what does it mean uh, to preach? It comes from... <coughs> the word, Greek word keruso, and I want to define what preaching is first and then what it isn't second. The word keruso means to herald, to proclaim, like an imperial messenger who would walk through the streets of the city to announce special announcements, um, such as the appearing of an emperor. In this case, um, it would be a pastor or an evangelist or an elder preaching God's word as a, as a representative of God himself. This isn't sharing. This isn't TED Talk. Um, churches I go online, it looks like I can't even tell the difference. TED Talk, that's not a sermon. So I had a different place. I was asked, you know, how was your calm today? I said, what's my calm? Oh, it's short for communication. How was your communication today? I go, do you mean preaching? Or <laughs> so do you have communications or calms at your church? So just goofy discussions over the years. I go, well, my hope is to preach the word and only what's in the word. If you guys have calms, you know, that's the language you use. That's okay, I guess. But this is not what the scripture says. It says to preach. <laughs> it says to preach the word. And when you think of the word, you think of what? Both the Old and the New Testament. You need to preach judgment and mercy, the good news and the bad news. Um, you need to think through preaching the law, the history, the prophets, the Gentiles, the epistles, the letters, and revelation. Um, generally, at Rooted Church, I've sought to alternate preaching you know, around 50% from the Old and the New Testament, so we are faithful to both Testaments. Why are we to preach God's Word? Why is it so vital? Why is it so crucial? Why is it so essential? Because the Word of God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, has unique properties uh, that come along with it. And so we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that God's word is breathed out by God. And I want you to see that this is the inspiration of God's word. God's word is authoritative. It comes from him. Um, this is our source. This is our authority. And it's useful or profitable for teaching, proactively teaching God's truth. It's also Useful for reproof when someone's in error. It's also useful for correction when there's slight error and they need to be turned back. It's also profitable for training in righteousness to be like Christ, that the man of God may be complete to do every good work. And so that's what are we to preach? And this is the importance of teaching God's word. It does this for the believer, it builds us up, it equips us. Um, I'm going to quote a number of theologians modern and old. Um, Brian Chappell, who is a professor of preaching at, I believe, Covenant Seminary, he says the following couple quotes. He says, biblical preaching moves from exegetical commentary and doctrinal exposition to life instruction. 
such preaching exhorts us well as we expound as well as expounds because it recognizes the scriptures own goal is not merely to share information about God but to inform his people to excuse me to conform his people to the likeness of Jesus Christ preaching without application may serve the mind but preaching with application results in service to Christ application makes Jesus the source and the objective of sermon's exhortation as well as the focus of its explanation. Brian Chapel goes on and says, we know our skills are insufficient for the activity with such vast consequences. We recognize that our hearts are too lacking in purity to lead others to holiness. Honest evaluation inevitably causes us to conclude that we do not have sufficient eloquence, wisdom, or character to be capable to turning others from spiritual death to eternal life. That last quote was hard to swallow, but the whole point is that God works through human beings, through the power of His Holy Spirit. But more than anything, the Word of God accomplishes what it is designed to accomplish, and that is to save lives and to transform lives. These other quotes uh, bring a little bit of a different angle. The late Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the chief end of preaching... (coughs) I like to think is this, is to give men and women God and his presence. The late Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, the preaching of Christ is the whip, uh, the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt that sounds of which makes as hell shakes. John MacArthur, who, who is still living, he says this, the preacher is not a chef, but he, excuse me, he's a waiter. God doesn't want you to make a meal. He wants you to deliver it to the table without messing it up. That's all. I like that one. Pretty straightforward. John Piper, who's still alive too, God has ordained that our preaching become deeper and more winsome as we are broken, broken, made low and desperately depend on grace by the trials of our lives. So many reasons to preach God's word, many purposes toward preaching God's word. And so that's what we hope to preach, God's word in our conversation, in our growth groups, in our discipleship, in our music, in our children's ministry. Um, We are to preach the word the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to preach junk food or, or fables or random stuff. We are to preach Christ through his word. Um, a little bit more as we dig on this. Um, if you look at Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, this is one of the most fascinating verses, I think, in the all scripture. It literally says what the word of God is. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. He says, the law, of the, the law of the word, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What does that mean, reviving the soul? Making the soul alive. <clears throat> Understanding it was once dead, 
And this word of God is so powerful, it could take the spiritually dead and make it alive, particularly in the area of the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God makes us wise. It helps us to see and understand the world that God has made. The precepts of the word of the Lord are right. We don't need to doubt if the word of God is right. We know it is right. We don't need to second guess it. Um, there's other areas in life that we probably should second guess because its source comes from man. Its source comes from unverified theories. We also see that the Word of God rejoices the heart. The Word of God rejoices the heart. The command, the command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. These are the things that the Word of God does. It is good for almost everything we face. Um, this week, I, a couple weeks ago, I was super depressed. And I had my son cue up some, some, some music that is saturated with Scripture. And... I sang and I listened and it lifted my spirits. It's so amazing. I went from depressed to way less depressed to more joyful. And so I'm thankful for uh, the ministry of the word that transforms the heart in this way. And I'm just going to throw a sidebar. There is a concert tonight by a group of people that are very good at taking lyrics and putting them to music. If you want to go there at 6 p.m., you can talk to the people that are going to that concert today. Raise your hand if you're going to that concert today. Talk to those people. It's a free concert. And so if you're interested, um, you can go to that concert. Um, moving on. <coughs> um, the next, last point, the next point is the urgency to preach. I can't believe I'm only on verse 2. The urgency to preach. God warned and commanded Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season to approve, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Okay, so we are to have this urgency to preach. We see the very first thing he tells Timothy, Timothy is to be ready. To be ready. To have a sense of urgency, a readiness. A, um, I think of our military, or even the police, and the firemen and different levels of the military, they're always preparing. They're constantly preparing, whether it's Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines. They're always preparing to carry out the tasks they need to do so. And so in the same token, it's the same idea. As, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as ministers of God's Word, we are to be what? We are to be ready, constantly prepared to preach the Word in season and out of season. We need to be alert for the attacks that may come at us. Um, we see this readiness, he defines a little bit, and I alluded to it already, that we are to be ready in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, when you're tired and when you're awake, um, when it's popular and not popular. Um, I remember a few years back, several people came to me and said, don't preach this section or we'll leave. Well. Some did leave, um, but it was the truth of God, and I didn't want people to leave, and I remember talking to people like, hey, we're going to look at this section of the Bible, straight face value for what it is, and, and the issue I want you to think through this is, is, if you don't like things in the Bible, 
you got to think about God wrote this Bible. Your issue is maybe with God if you have something that you disagree with the Bible itself. And so wrestle it with God and think about it with God. Ask God for um, help to understand this. I'm going to cross-reference another section. Um, you know what? I might be mistaking uh, this address. It's either first, first Peter or Second Peter. Someone could confirm with me. First, thank you. First Peter 3:15. A very similar verse um, in the in the reality of intense persecution. Peter urges his audience to always what be prepared or always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's three things I want you to see here quickly. The posture of unapologetic witness is to be prepared to make a defense. So to think through their questions and the things that they're going to throw at you and be ready to have a defense, to have a biblical answer. Um, hopefully, not, you're not giving Sunday school fluff, but you know the verse and chapter to bring someone to. <clears throat> you have a, a readiness or a posture being able to give the reason for the hope, the hope that you have. And so being able to share why you believe what you believe. Um, that's important. It's not good enough to know why you believe what you believe, but you need to know how to defend what you believe. You, as members come on to life of church, sometimes we just sign the bottom, and yeah, I just agree generally with it. That's not what I hope. You need to know why you believe. You need to know how to defend what you believe. Um, I, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag now for the rest of us. A little bit, it will be a meeting later on, but we are taking another step with our relationship with Reedy Creek Baptist Church to go from meeting together, first and second service, swapping hours to meeting together. And part of what we want to do is to come together, sing together, preach together. The other thing we want to do is go through our statement of faith <clears throat> so that we would know our statement of faith and so that we could defend our statement of faith. Okay? So when trials come, we don't crumble. Or when people ask us questions, we're like, oh, no. Right? I don't know. So my hope is that you know the reason and that you, you would be there because we'll walk through the key verses for every doctrine. It's not going to be exhaustive. It'll be a survey study. But my hope is that it'll be a reminder of our key, key doctrines that we hopefully will die for um, and defend with our lives. The last posture is we are to do so with gentleness and respect, not harshness and rudeness. We also see at the end of verse 2 that Paul um, says that to Timothy, there are times with the word of God and when you preach, you may need to reprove or to convince others that their behavior or doctrine is wrong and argue with them um, carefully in kindness and respect through the scripture to turn them from error to the truth, from wrong conduct to proper conduct. Sometimes you might need to bring it on a little further with a rebuke, dealing deeper with someone's motive, <clears throat> their sin behind their action. And so that will require a deeper, more firm rebuke with God's word. And so 
Um, that's more the negative side of preaching. And the, the positive side of preaching is to teach doctrine and to teach instruction on a regular basis, informing and edifying and transforming in that sense. Why do we do this? We see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, that t- <clears throat> Paul warns Timothy the hazards of preaching. And so he'll, he's basically pointing out that there are people who don't care about in his word for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but but having itchy ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires for the most part every church will find themselves teachers that will match their desires so if you have a desire for christ and his word usually there's a preacher that will preach about God and his word. But if you don't want Christ and his word, you find a teacher who will teach you what? Something contrary to Christ and his word. It makes sense, right? And so there are churches that don't care about teaching. They just want entertainment. They want many jokes. And so they'll find a person that will give you joke after joke. And you're like, man, this guy is a jokester. <clears throat> and so that's kind of how it works. And if you think about it, you see it all over the place. Um, it's no wonder that Joel Osteen is considered the pastor of this nation, because that's all the appetite our nation has for in general. Verse 4, we see that congregations um, find and align those who teach the word um, to itch their their ears. We see in verse 4, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. (laughs) They'll pursue things that are not true, not at the level of Scripture. And so this is terrible, and this is awful that this would happen. And there's so many examples. I don't want to bore yourself, but you get the idea of why it's important to preach, why it's urgent, and what happens when you don't you find yourself with a bunch of people who simply want their ears itched by something other than God's word. And so this brings us to our last section, I think, on the mindset to preach. The mindset to preach. This is found in verse 5. And so for the preacher on Sunday, for us as disciples and witnesses of Christ, Paul says to Timothy in verse 5, he says, As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So the mindset is to be sober-minded. This is someone who's free from things that would be intoxicating, like drugs or or, or drinking alcohol. Um, Our mind needs to be sober, our mind needs to be alert, and our mind needs to be rested. Our mind needs to be full of truth so it could think biblically. Um, so it <clears throat> know how to think through things biblically and have a balanced perspective. <clears throat> and so it's an unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word uh, to be committed with a steadfast faith in this way. Um, number two, so the first thing is to be sober-minded in our thinking. 
Um, the second one is to have a mindset to endure suffering. First of all, that it minds, first of all, this means that we understand that we're in a fallen world, that we do have an enemy, and his name is Satan, and he has a whole group, a whole legion of demons, and both Satan and his demons hates Christians, hates Jesus, hates God's word. And we live in a world um, in which we are going to endure suffering. So we are to what? Expect suffering. This expects suffering. You shouldn't be surprised. Oh, oh no, I'm suffering. No, expect suffering. Yeah, that's this part, uh, part of course for being a Christian. You will suffer in this life. In the Beatitudes, it says the same thing. <laughs> right after the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who suffer for my sake. Okay, so that's this par to course. You will suffer as Christians. And we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, all suffered in a number of ways. We won't go into all of them, but you can kind of see it on the screen. Um, but he suffered greatly um, for the gospel. Number, the next mindset is to be to have a mindset to be evangelistic. This is not to say that everyone has the gift of evangelism, but to do the work of evangelism. Okay? Some God gifts with the gift of evangelism. You really, all you can think about is evangelizing, and you're just really good at sharing the gospel. But here he's just saying, Timothy, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, I want you to do the work of an evangelist to actively call people to Christ, to actively be a part of the Great Commission too, <clears throat> and to point people to Christ and sh share and proclaim the gospel to Jesus Christ. The root word for evangelism is found to 125 times in the New Testament to be a witness, to be a martyr, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so today in the second hour, we're going to be reminded of one way to share the gospel. Okay. <clears throat> um, maybe that's the reason why we don't share the gospel because we don't know the gospel. So we train people to share the gospel. And so um, it's <clears throat> to be equipped in that way. Lastly, um, the mindset that Tim, Paul is communicating to Timothy to fulfill your charge is to fulfill your charge. Timothy was to fulfill his unique ministry before God, before the Lord God. Here we see the word fulfill is an imperative command. It carries the, the idea of giving full measure to bring his that work to completion. This means that there is an eagerness, a wholeheartedness to fulfill the call of Christ. It's not to give up. It's not to throw in the towel. It's not to quit. It's to fulfill the call, the charge that he was given. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, another couple verses down, it's Paul has this perspective as he's in 2 Timothy, as his life is coming to its end, he says here, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, my hope and my prayer for myself and you is that we will run this marathon well to the end. Statistically, I'll be honest with you. The people in scripture pretty much all started well. 
people in scripture, most of them didn't finish well. They didn't finish well toward the end of their life. When I think of churches, you think of your youth group or people you know in college, the reality is, you know, I was in a youth group of 50 kids. Uh, some of you guys might have come from college groups of 5, 10, 15, maybe 100 people. The reality is typically 10 to 20% live out their Christianity after 25 into the 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s. That's a low percentage. Maybe they came to church in those days because the social life was good, or the food was really good, or the girls were really cute, or whatever, and like attracted a whole bunch of guys, or whatever. <clears throat> They're going to church for some other reason, because for some reason down the road, they stopped running the race. And so you really need to think about why you're here, why you're participating, and if these are honoring reasons to continue to motivate yourself in the life to come. Because if you're running on superficial reasons, that's not going to carry you to the end. It won't. Most don't finish well. Most don't finish well. And I want you to finish well. I want every one of us to finish well. And there's no reason why that can't be. You have a choice to follow Christ and to fight this good fight and to finish this race. But it begins now to, to walk humbly with our God, to know him and his resurrection, and to run in such a way that you will, what? Finish this well, race well, and at the end, that he'll say what? Well done, my good and faithful servant, that you'll run to the end. Why does this matter? What's so important? I probably hit a lot of these in the, in the sermon, but I just want to wrap it up and remind you. The value of preaching God's word is to know God. Um, but to know, know God for salvation, know God so your life would be transformed, so that we would ensure that the, those who teach, preach, no matter what age, that they know God and his word. We need to be able to guard the message. We need to hear the message. Um, in the weeks and months to come, my hope is that we value apologetics. Now, not just value in our mind like, oh yeah, the apologetics are cool. No, but to know what you believe and know why you believe and to what? Defend what you believe. Okay, I, I want to push hard on this because most kids coming out of church, they usually have a lot of things and thoughts about what they've heard growing up from their parents in the church. But you need to be able to go to the scriptures and find what you're standing on and where you're standing on it and be able to call the scriptures back. If you can't grasp the word in that way, um, you're not going to be able to, to fight. You'll be like the chaff that is blown away when the storms come. So know what you believe, know why you believe, so you can defend what you believe. Lastly, value the gospel. Value the gospel. Value the gospel to the point that you live out the gospel, that you share the gospel, that you make it your goal. Uh, in some institutes of training, they, they call their those who are being trained in their church to make it a normal thing to share the gospel in its completeness every single week to somebody. Um, 
And so it's not to say, hey, God is good. Uh, it's to go a little further that you are not good. You're actually one who has offended a holy God. And because of this offense, you have transgressed his law. You deserve his holy wrath and his punishment. And God in his kindness, what? Sent his son to deliver you, to pay for a payment that you can never pay on your own. That he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And this is known as the atonement. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can and will be saved. This is called simple faith. Also, I see it as a radical faith, a faith of trust, a childlike faith to believe and trust that Jesus said and did what he did. And I don't know why God chose the vehicle of faith, except that God chose to choose the vehicle of faith to say, hey, if you believe in me, you shall have eternal life and shall not perish. Brothers and sisters, DNA, may we, by God's grace, value and own apologetic preaching and witness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it has an inherent power to convert the soul, to transform our lives. And so we pray toward that end, that it would do that, convert the soul and transform our lives so that you would be glorified and that we and the people around us and the city that you've called us would know your good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.